Becoming a parent uh, changes you. Studies have shown, actually, that uh, there's literal, for men, when a man becomes a dad, there is a literal, like, biochemical change that takes place. His testosterone levels go down. He becomes more sort of just chill. Um, He's ready to settle a little bit more into life. It, It makes a difference in your actual chemical makeup, but it also makes a difference in your emotional life. At least it did for me. Um, you know, if my, if my 20-year-old self could look at me now, you know, 15 or so years later, my 20-year-old self would probably think, man, what in the world has gotten into him? You know, I've, I've always been somewhat of an emotional guy. I've never been a big crier, so to speak, until I had kids. <laughs> and after we had a couple of kids, I find myself very often uh, just crying. And, uh, you know, Marianne will be upstairs and I'll be downstairs watching TV and she'll come downstairs and I'll kind of be wiping away tears and she'll ask what made me cry. And I'll say, oh, there's a, there's a Toyota commercial on that uh, really it, it got me choked up, you know. And uh, one vivid memory of this was when I was, I was sitting in an airport. This is maybe three years ago. I was in an airport by myself waiting to catch a flight and um, I was watching my iPad, just looking for something to do. I'd finished the book I was reading, and so I got on to uh, Netflix or something like that and started looking for a TV show, and I started watching Parenthood. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the show Parenthood. It's an okay show. It's a pretty good show, but it's about a multi-generational family, like the grandparents and their children and their children. And uh, the first episode is, it's not necessarily heart-wrenching, but it's about family. It's about having kids. And I'm sitting here in the airport in DFW watching Parenthood with a guy sitting right here and a gal sitting right here. <laughs> I'm just kind of breaking down and weeping, you know, in the middle of DFW. And the guy kind of gets up and moves a few seats down. He's like, what is, what is wrong with that dude? You know, parenthood makes a difference. It, it changes you. It, it, it affects the way you think about life. It affects you emotionally. It affects you physically. That's for sure true. It affects you in every possible way. It's a, it's a big, big, big deal. Most people in life, one of the two or three most important things that ever happens to them is when they become a mom or when they become a dad, along with marriage and maybe where you end up moving for your career. Those are some big, big things. And that's what really I want to spend time talking about with you tonight as we look at Ephesians chapter 6. Because here Paul shows us that he is very concerned, that God is very concerned, that the gospel is very concerned with, again, our day-to-day lives, with the important day-to-day experiences that we face as Christians, that we face as people. And Paul talks tonight to us and to the Ephesian church um, in these few verses that I really want to focus on, verses 1 through 4, about the relationship that children, young people, people under the age of 18 who are still under the authority of their parents, in our culture that really is what defines a child, and parents— And so what we want to do tonight is look at these few verses and hope to apply them to our lives as the Spirit is at work. But what we've been talking about as we've gone through Ephesians, just let me bring you up to speed if you've missed a few weeks or if you can't remember. Ephesians is a great letter because in the first half of Ephesians, Paul talks about the gospel. He says, there's good news for people who are broken. There's good news for a world that is in need of help. God has come in the person of Jesus Christ, and he has provided for your every need. He has forgiven your sin through his death on the cross, and he is even now in the process of renewing this entire cosmos, this entire universe. And the main way he's doing that is through a group of people 
who are messed up and sinful, but whom God has brought together as redeemed people. We call those people the church. We've talked about a lot how the church is the main way by which God is exercising his redemptive and renewing work in the universe. That's what Ephesians 1 through 3 is about. It's about the gospel. It's about how God is at work in the church, how great things are taking place through faith in Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians 4, Paul begins to apply these great truths in very practical, down-to-earth, ordinary, everyday ways. Last time we were here, we looked at the end of chapter 5, which is about marriage. The most important human relationship that any of us will ever have, if we ever get married, is the relationship we have with our spouse. And possibly, probably, the second most important human relationship any of us will ever have is the relationship that we have with our parents or with our children. And so that's where Paul goes tonight. And so as we look at these verses, continuing to think about how the gospel applies to everyday life, how the gospel applies to the church in very ordinary ways, Really, there's one big idea I want you to get. The gospel is worked out in a household when children obey and when parents cherish. Okay? If you you don't get anything else, get that. The gospel is worked out in a household when children obey and when parents cherish. And so I want to talk about those two ideas with you. Children obeying, parents cherishing, and how the gospel of Jesus Christ helps us in those particular endeavors. Okay? First, we see that children, verse 1, children are called to do something very particular. Look at the text. Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, in 522, when Paul talks to wives, remember, he gives them one big command, submit. And in 525 and 28 and 33, when Paul talks to husbands, he gives them one big command, love. And now he does the same thing with children, with young people who are under the authority of their parents. He says, obey, obey your parents. Now that word there, obey, is a very strong word. It's stronger than the word Paul uses, for example, in verse 22 of chapter 5, when he tells wives to submit. Here he's saying, obey, and when he says that, he means almost, I said last week that no human should ever give unconditional obedience to another human, and I think that's true, but Kids are almost there with parents. The condition, uh, the obedience should almost be unconditional unless your, your parents are explicitly c- commanding you to sin, to do something that violates God's law. The, the word there, obey, is a strong word. And what he's saying is that children who want to live the Christian life, children who say that they believe in Jesus, express that belief. They live that faith mainly, primarily by obeying. By obeying their mom and obeying their dad. Now, something I think that's really important, just to pause here for a minute and reflect on. It's important to note that Paul, here in a letter written 2,000 years ago, in an ancient time, to an ancient church, he speaks to children. The fact that he addresses children at all is very important. You see... There's a very common refrain in our culture today that says that Christianity is a, it's a regressive, a socially regressive religion that seeks to inhibit and oppress people, especially weak people. And I think that this text and many other texts just prove that that's just simply not true. Christianity, rather than being socially regressive, is actually socially progressive. 
Christianity cares about the weak and the disenfranchised and the powerless. You see, children in Roman culture, in the culture that Paul wrote to a couple of thousand years ago, they, were, they had no human rights. You know, they were treated like pieces of property that could be discarded if they didn't live up to their billing. But Paul speaks to children personally here. And he addresses them as people who bear God's image. He says that they can have a relationship with Jesus. He says, obey your parents in the Lord. He treats them as a part of the Christian congregation. You see, Christianity, um, rather than seeing children and wise for that matter and servants as people who uh, don't have any rights, who should be oppressed and forgotten about. Christianity actually frees them to live as people who have real human, author- real human dignity, who are created in God's image, just like everybody else. I think that's a really, really important thing to hone in on here. But back to the main point. The point, again, is that children are to obey. And then Paul gives us a reason why. Look in verse 2. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Why is it right? He quotes here the fifth commandment from Exodus chapter 20. Honor your father and your mother. And then he tells us something important. This is the first commandment with a promise. And the promise is there in verse 3. If you honor your father and your mother, it will go well for you. It may go well for you, and you will live long in the land. So the reason that children are called by God to obey their mom and to obey their dad is because that commandment has an explicit promise attached to it. The promise says that if children obey, generally speaking, their, their life is going to go well. Things are going to go well for them. Now, this isn't to say that it's not possible for good children to experience suffering or even death. This is a a proverbial statement. It's a general principle that's very common in the scriptures. You know, it's sort of like early bird gets the worm. That's a proverbial statement. It's not always 100% of the time true. There are exceptions, but the exceptions prove the rule, you see. That's the case here as well. When he says, children, when you obey your parents, your life is going to go well. You're going to have a prosperous life. You're going to live long. He's saying that generally when parents obey this commandment to submit, to obey to their, their mom and dad, things are going to go well for them in life. So let me just talk to you. If you're in in here right now and you're under the age of 18, I want to talk to you personally. I'm always talking to you personally, but I'm singling you out, young young ones, young friends. Um, If you claim and want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if, if you have any desire in your heart to live a Christian life, the primary way at this moment in your life that God has called you to do that is by obeying. By obeying your mom and obeying your dad. And listen, um, I know that that is a very, very difficult thing. I have, uh, I have vivid memories, and I'm certain that your mom and your dad have vivid memories of times when they were children, when they were your age, and their parents would tell them to do something, and they were just completely baffled by this command that their parents had given. Why should I do that? That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't need to do that. That's a, that's, you know what? That's a stupid idea. I'm not doing that at all. But I, let me just talk to you because I'm your pastor and I love you and I want to see you do well and things go well for you in life. Your parents know more than you do. Um, it, your parents, when they, when they give you commands, they're not giving you commands because they're perfect. No, your parents are sinners. 
Your parents are fallen. Your parents need to repent and say they're sorry to you very often. But your parents have been called by God to serve you and love you by teaching you and training you in the way you should go. Your parents have more life experience than you do. Your parents have a little bit more... um, a little bit more wear on their tires than you do. And it would serve you well, the Bible says very clearly right here, to obey them. And, and listen, I know that oftentimes as l- young people, as children, uh, say your mom or your dad tells you to go clean your room. I know that oftentimes you can like, actually go do that job, literally like pick up physical toys with your hands and place them where they go, while inside your heart is just mad. You ever feel like that, kids? I can't believe they're making me do this. Put that toy away. I'm mad. This is a stupid rule. I want to go outside. I want to play. I want to do what I want to do. This is dumb. Now, if you clean your room, but the whole time that's the conversation you're having inside of your head, are you obeying? No. That's that's the answer. It's not multiple choice. No. Jesus is interested, young people, friends, Not just in your external observation, but in your heart allegiance to his law. In your heart allegiance to his gospel. And a huge part of that right now in your life is to obey your parents. Not because your parents are perfect. Not because your parents always know what's best. They don't. They're oftentimes very confused. But they are still called by God to serve you and to lead you. And you're called by God to obey them. Imagine just this with me for one moment. Imagine that you were taking a vacation with your family, kids, and you go swimming out in the ocean on the beach. And as you're getting in the water, you see a big sign posted right there, very clearly in the water, that says, No swimming sharks. And there's a a guy swimming with a big X marked through the picture of the guy swimming. Now, at that moment, when you see that sign, you have a couple of options. You can either ignore the warning and go swim and exercise your freedom and say, You know what? Forget that sign. I'm going to do what I want to do. I want to swim. Or you can obey that sign, that warning, and not get in the water and potentially have your leg chomped off by a man-eating fish. Okay, those are your two options. Now, I would encourage you here to think about the Bible's command to obey your parents in similar terms. Oftentimes, when, you want to, when you're called to obey your parents, you feel like, this is restricting my freedom. This is not letting me do what I want. This is not the best for me, and so I'm not going to do it. You cannot do it, just like you cannot obey that sign. But when you don't obey that sign, you run the risk of being eaten by a shark, right? And when you don't obey your parents, you are running, you are running, listen, you are running a risk. You're running a risk of your life not going well. It's very clearly what scripture teaches here. And so I would encourage you to seek to obey your parents from the heart. And listen, you can't do that on your own. You need Jesus to help you. And if you don't know what it means to believe in Jesus, then I want you to talk to your mom and dad about that because they're the ones that are going to help you understand what that means. Jesus wants to help you obey your parents, not just by doing what they tell you externally, but by listening to them and loving them in their hearts. If you want to be Christians, young people, largely what that looks like right now in your life is to obey. Okay? Parents, your children should obey you. (laughs) Okay, let me talk to you for a minute and let me talk to me for a minute. You are running the roost, not your children. And listen, when you become a parent, you realize, some of you are about to become parents, and you're about to realize that it is really, really hard 
In fact, it's much, much harder to raise children that follow the rules that you lay out for them than just to, you know, let them do whatever they want. It's, it's much, much easier to raise children that are disobedient because you don't have to do any work to train them. They're just by nature disobedient because they're sinners, just like you are. Um, but I want to encourage us as parents to remember, and this might seem obvious, but in our culture it's being more and more forgotten, that, that you are responsible to a large degree for your children's obedience. They are responsible too, but you also are responsible for their obedience. Uh, Brian Chappell tells this great story in his commentary in Ephesians that I'll just repeat here, because I'm sure you've seen experiences or had experiences just like this. A story he tells is his family is waiting in line at an amusement park to get on a roller coaster. And about three families in front of them, there's this, you know, six-year-old, six-year-old Johnny. We'll call him Johnny. Six-year-old Johnny um, is throwing a fit, and he is sitting up on one of the rails and his feet are stuck out on the other rail so that people can't get past. And, and people can hear Johnny's conversation with his mom. And here's how it goes. Johnny's mom says, Johnny, you get down from there right now. And what does Johnny do? Johnny's stone, man. He doesn't move an inch, right? Johnny stays right up there. So mom says, Johnny, you better get down right now. I am not going to ask you again. Johnny doesn't move. Johnny, I'm going to count to three. One. Two, two and a half, two and three quarters, Johnny, 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 when your dad comes, he is going to be, I'm going to tell your dad what you did. He is going to be so mad. Or Johnny, when your mom gets here, I'm going to tell your mom what you're doing. And he is going to be really, really disappointed in you. Johnny, Johnny, please, please, please get down. Johnny, if you get down, I will buy you an ice cream cone. You've seen that happen, right? You know what happened to Johnny? Johnny's 20 years old now and he's still sitting there on that fence. Because, because when you don't do the hard work to discipline your children and to teach them to obey, you are not loving your children. The Proverbs say that the person who won't discipline his child hates that child. And so parents are called to do the hard work of teaching their children obedience. Just as children are called to do the hard work of obeying their parents in the Lord for this is right. Because when that happens, when mom and dad are honored, things will go well with them and they will live long in the land. Okay, so children are called to obey. Second, parents are called to cherish. Look at verse 4. Fathers, fathers are particularly called out here. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up or cherish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so children obey, parents cherish. There's a beautiful reciprocity that we see here. We saw this last week as well. When we looked at marriage, remember, we saw that wives are called to submit, husbands are called to love. Those things are mutual. Those things happen together. It's not just that wives submit and then dad and husband does whatever he wants. Okay? Both are called to give of their best interest, to give up their own interest for the good of the other person. Wives, submit. Sacrifice your best interest for the good of the whole. Husbands, love sacrificially. Sacrifice your best interest for the good of the whole. You see the same thing here. It's not that children are to obey and then parents get to have just an ironclad authoritarianism to do whatever they want. No, parents are called as well to sacrifice their own best and best personal interests for the good of the whole of the family, for the good of their children. There's a, a reciprocal nature to the relationship between parents and children, just as there's a reciprocal nature to the relationship of husband and wife. And in that sense, the relationship that parents have with their kids reflects the gospel. Because we saw this last week, too. The gospel tells us that God 
in the person of Jesus, sacrificed his own best interests. Philippians 2, he didn't consider equality with God something to hold on to, but he became a what? A servant. The gospel says to you that God gave up what is rightfully his for your own good. And when you do that in your marriage and when you do that in your parenting, you are in a very real way reflecting and modeling the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me say a couple of things here generally, and then a few principles practically, especially for dads, as we think about parents cherishing their children, okay? First thing that's very clear in this passage, Ephesians 6, 4, is that parents, this should go without saying, but it doesn't, parents have the responsibility to raise their children. It is not the responsibility of your school, and that doesn't matter if you're in public, private, I'm not making some school statement here. I'm saying it's not the responsibility of the school your kids are in. It's not the responsibility of the nanny. It's not the responsibility of a governmental institution to raise our children. It is the responsibility of the parents. Very clear here. Your responsibility is to raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Second, fathers. Notice who's addressed there in verse 4. Fathers are to be active and involved and invested in the lives of their children. Listen, this is a big deal. 60%, 60% of children being raised in the United States today are being raised without their biological father in the home. And in most urban inner cities, that number rises to 80%. 80%. Across socioeconomic lines, across racial lines, this is, along with divorce, the major social epidemic in our country. Fatherless homes, dads bailing, dads running out on their family when it gets too hard, dads not being involved. Listen, the Bible is very clear. If you believe the gospel and if Jesus is at work in your life, dads must be involved in the lives of their family. It's very simple, but also very difficult. The Bible's very clear. Fathers, dads, do not provoke your children. Implied there, dads, be involved in the lives of your children. Be present, be loving, be kind, be there. And listen, when that is taking place in a community of people, when there's a community of people that have been gathered together in the name of Jesus where dads are present... Where it's not just mom doing everything. Where dads are at work in the lives of their family, loving their kids. That is, listen, that is radically countercultural. People are going to notice. That is a difference-making, culture-changing thing in and of itself. And that is what we are called to. So let me close just by a couple of things here about, about how we, particularly as dads, but generally as parents, how we can obey and live out by faith this command not to provoke our children. What does it mean? How do we provoke our children? If children are to obey, and if I'm going to sit up here and preach to them to obey their parents, then we need to think as parents and particularly as fathers about how we oftentimes tend to provoke our children. And if you're not a dad yet, if you want to be a dad someday, if you're here and you're dating a guy that you want someday to um, marry and have children with, and you need to listen to, okay? Because this is super, super important stuff. How do we as dads sometimes provoke our children? I've got a couple of thoughts here. Let me share them with you. First, 
We tend to provoke our children, and we need to be aware of this, when um, there's more criticism coming out of our mouths than there is encouragement. Uh, Mark Driscoll has a sermon illustration on this point that I think is good. He likens this to a bank account. And a bank account, in a bank account, you both make withdrawals and you make deposits. But when you make more withdrawals than you do deposits, eventually the bank account is going to be empty. When you criticize your children, you're making a withdrawal from the account. When you encourage them and love them, you're making a deposit. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't ever criticize your children. Your children are sinners. You need to teach them to obey, and sometimes that's going to entail critique. But, but, when by and large the nature of your verbal relationship with your kids is one of critique, there's a big problem. You're provoking them to anger. When, when you call your kids across the room to come here and they walk to you like this, that, that's a warning sign that something is amiss. We provoke our children when we are more prone to criticism than to encouragement. We provoke our children when we are emotionally abusive or emotionally distant. Now, obviously, dads, you provoke your children when you're physically abusive. If you're physically abusive, you need to go to jail. But much more common is emotional abuse and emotional distance. And this is something that I struggle with in my life, to be honest with you. Oftentimes, as men, we, we hear our families, or maybe we don't hear our families, but our families are saying things like, you know, dad's always in the garage. <laughs> dad's always watching TV. Dad's always on his iPad. Dad's always at work. Dad's always doing this, that, and the other thing. And he's not really ever talking to me. He's not really ever involved in me. He's not really ever asking me how I'm doing. Dads, when you're doing that, you're provoking your children. You're not invested in their lives. You're being emotionally distant from them. Dads, we provoke our children when, maybe it's just this simple, when we're not very fun, when you're not very generous, um, you know, if you have, do- I've got a daughter, and it's important for me as a dad to play princesses with my daughter. I've never played princesses in my life until the last four years since Ainsley's been in my family, but it's important for me to have tea parties with Ainsley and Ariel and Belle and all the other Disney princesses because I'm having fun with my daughter. It's important for you to be interested in the things that your children are interested in and, and, and to have fun. To enjoy life with them. That's a way in which we refrain from provoking them. But all too often, it seems like, Dad, man, you're just so serious. Just chill out, Dad. It's okay. Have fun. Go play soccer. Get off your phone. Go have a tea party. Put away the iPad. It's, it's another way we, we tend to provoke our children is, um, and I think really this is, this is the major way. The major way we tend to provoke our children and disregard this command from God in Ephesians 6, 4 is is when we live a life with our children, and this is true not just of dads but of moms too, a a life with our children where we're never telling them that we're sorry. (laughs) Now, I know a lot of of us men um, can probably count on one hand the number of times we heard our dad say he was sorry to us. Also, I know a number of us that's not true for because we have great relationships with our dads and praise God for that. The way that dads love their children well and refrain from provoking them is when dads are honest enough with their children to tell them, son or daughter, I am sorry. I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. 
Listen, do you want your children to obey Jesus and to believe the gospel? If you do, you better be obeying Jesus and believing the gospel in your house. And the way that looks is by saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins, just like you need Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Do you want to have a spiritual atmosphere in your household where Jesus is loved and adored and grace is seen rather than law? If you want that, then you better be humble enough to be the leader in saying, I messed up there, son. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I need you to forgive me. When that is not happening, you are hardening the heart of your child. When that is not happening, you're making it impossible for your children to truly honor their father and their mother and to truly honor Jesus, most importantly. When that isn't happening, you are provoking your children to anger. Last thing. Dads, we're very clearly called here as well, along with all these examples of not provoking our children, to positively bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, And the way I want to think about that, just to apply it real briefly, is very simple. That means that we are to teach our children how to think about the world more than other people are teaching them how to think about the world. And the way to do that isn't to take them out of the world. Um, That's impossible, you know, probably a lot of us grew up with the, the kid that was super, super, I mean, super, super sheltered, you know, the private, whatever, private school, homeschool, whatever it looked like in your life, public school, sheltered. And then they go off to college, and what happens? Go crazy. It doesn't always happen, but I bet most of us know examples of that happening. Um, because they'd never really been exposed to learn and think about what's going to hit them in the world when they get big. Um, dads and parents, but dads especially, are the ones who are called to teach their children about what's true and to teach their children about what's real. And the way that looks is by being in the world with your kids and helping them to learn to discern the things they are seeing and hearing and tasting and touching. Um, an example of this that I can think of, not that I've got this all figured out, but Marianne and I, you know, in the last couple of years as Ainsley's gotten bigger, have been reading to her, and she's a girl, so she loves princesses. She wants to read all the Disney princess books. And I was reading Little Mermaid with Ariel, uh, with Ainsley. Ariel's the star of the little... Ariel's the mermaid. I've got that right, right? That's Ariel. I get the princesses mixed up. Ariel is the little mermaid. I'm reading it with Ainsley, and we're reading this book together, and I'm like, you know, Ariel is just... Ariel is a person of really, really bad character. Listen, Ariel is disobedient to her dad, Triton, the guy with the trident, you know? I like Triton. That's his name, right? The guy with the trident. She's disobedient. She's snooty. She doesn't obey. She does whatever she wants. Ariel is not someone to be looked up to and admired. I I prefer Belle, to be honest. Belle from Beauty and the Beast, much, much better than Ariel. But, you know, I'm sitting here with Ainsley, and I'm like, okay, what do I do now? And Marianne was very helpful here, so we've just been saying, Ainsley, you know, Ariel is not displaying good character here. <laughs> she is not going, it is not going to go well for her if she continues to disobey her dad in this way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're not saying you can never read The Little Mermaid again. Boom. That might need to happen at some point. We're, we're hopefully helping her understand the world that she's experiencing and the life that she's living and the things that she's being exposed to, the way Jesus understands those things. And that means, dads, you've got to get on it. You've got to figure out what you think about the world and how you interpret reality. Until you do that, Dad, you can't do it for your children and help them do it as well. So the things that we're called to as parents to cherish our kids are really important. They're really, really hard, too. 
And as we examine this text, and as we look at it, and as I think about it in my own life, I'm convicted by my own failure to not provoke my children, and by my own failure to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and I end up saying, all right, man, this is hard. What am I going to do? Well, listen. Listen, your, your righteousness and your identity are not dependent upon the quality of your parenting, as important as the quality of your parenting is. And the way that you're going to grow as a parent, moms and dads and children, the way that you're going to grow as children is when you believe that the way God sees you is based upon the way God sees Jesus. When you believe that God looks at you with admiration because by faith you're joined to Jesus, of whom God looks with admiration. You see, when you understand that you're not dad's the perfect dad, but you do have a perfect dad in heaven, when you get that the heavenly father is ultimately the one to whom you are to point your kids in faith, and when you yourself are trusting by faith in the heavenly father, you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel to actually grow in these areas And then when you fail in these areas, to say, I'm sorry, and to repent, and to believe that Jesus forgives you and that your children will forgive you. You see, you only become a better parent when you realize that the best parent is your parent in heaven. And children, you only become a more obedient child when you realize that your obedience is ultimately not to your parents, because your parents are not good gods. Your parents are good parents, but they're not good gods. Your obedience ultimately is to God. And the way you obey God is when you believe that God has given you the the power to obey him in the gospel. So you see, the answer for our struggles to obey is found in Jesus' lack of struggle to obey. The answers for our failure to obey is found in Jesus' perfect obedience for us. And when you believe that, your parenting and your obeying as children begin to change. May it be so of us. Let's pray.